Well, good morning, church. Well, that last song, hmm. that's good. It is good. It's good to worship, isn't it? Um, I'm so thankful that we have a church here. We can come and we can sing, we can pray, we can, we can gather together and, and worship our one and only true God. Um, there are a few things that, that Mike announced earlier along with the Advent. I want to remind you we have an Advent book out on the table. If you did not grab one, please grab one. Take one home. Start reading through it with us. Um, we want you to, uh, as it's, we're going to, I think it's tomorrow or the next day, we'll hit the second chapter, which is love, which I'm hitting on today in the sermon. Uh, but we want you to sort of join us as we're all together in one, trying to um, grow in this season and in our faith. Uh, another thing is, uh, sometimes as our students, um, I'm guilty of this too, we don't communicate things as well as we probably could. So if you heard Mike say, we've got a coffee fundraiser going on for the kids that are going on a youth uh, winter retreat or mission trip, and some of the parents are going, what? Oh, maybe I didn't read that email, or maybe they didn't bring home that paper, whatever it may be. We've got extra papers like this out on the table that explains more about the winter retreat that's coming up, a little bit more about the mission trip this summer. It doesn't have all the details on the mission trip, but enough to let you know what's going on. So make sure, parents, if you weren't sure, grab that. And uh, there's still time to, to order coffee, to pray for these, these kids and start preparing them and encouraging them to be a part of the things that are going on. Uh, I'm excited about Wednesday night. Like I said, if you don't know, a spectacular Christmas night is taking place this Wednesday. This uh, room will be uh, filled up in the banquet style, and we are going to be um, uh, serving those with special needs, and all those presents that are out there are going to be delivered uh, Wednesday night here in this room. A lot of the youth group, they're signed up. They're supposed to dress up, look a little nice, and uh, show up on time, and we'll send another reminder out. Uh, but we're excited about that evening. It's, it's just a wonderful time to celebrate a lot going on. Um, and, and today, as we get into God's Word, I, I hope you'll be encouraged and inspired to uh, take that next step of what it means to, to celebrate. Grab your Bibles, if you would, please. Turn to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 3. Ephesians, chapter 3. Well, one more thing. Tonight's meeting, church family meeting. Um, typically, it's a smaller attended meeting because not a lot of people have questions. But if you do have questions about our budget, about our elders, different things, um, it's going to be in the big room. So come in the south doors. It won't be in here. It'll be in the big room. And we'll set that up after church today, and it'll be ready for you all when you come tonight. If for some odd reason we have 200 of you show up, then we'll come back in here. Um, but I think we'll be able to fit everybody in the big room tonight. Book of Ephesians chapter 3, we'll start in verse 14. And the Apostle Paul, he's sort of, he's talking to the followers of Jesus Christ. He's talking to us. And he's going to pray for four things here. And I want to I start here with today's message. Mike read it for us. Let's, let's read it again. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Verse 18. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, in this scripture, there's four things that 
Paul prays for us and for those who are Christians. And if you've ever struggled with, how should I pray for other people? I mean, uh, and God, be with them and heal them and take care of them. And, and, and here's a great model for how maybe how we can pray for others. So that's a little side note right there. But here's how he prays for us. First thing he prays for, he prays that we'll be strengthened by the Spirit of God. He wants us to be empowered. He wants us not to just say, I've got the Spirit of God working in me, but really working in us and empowering us. That's the first thing he prays for. We ought to pray for one another, that God's Spirit empowers us to live out what we're called to do. The second thing he says is, I pray that Christ will dwell in your hearts, which is sort of an odd thing for Paul to pray for because he's praying for Christians whom Christ is already indwelling. As Christians, when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're saved, and then part of you being saved is God gives us his spirit. So Christ is already dwelling in you, so why would he pray this? Because the word to dwell, there's two different meanings. And he's using not the meaning to occupy, which is which is the Holy Spirit's already doing. The second meaning is the one that means I occupy and I'm also the owner. Like It's like a homeowner. He's praying that Christ comes into our lives and it comes to homeowner. He's not just hanging out, but he's the one that's helping making decisions in our life and that we are listening to the homeowner. The third thing he prays for is that we'd be rooted and grounded, which is sort of unusual that he uses two illustrations in one sentence because this could be confusing for some. As, as somebody who's not an English major, um, oftentimes I may say stuff and people are like, you said that wrong or you shouldn't have put those illustrations together. I get it because it's what... Paul did. He says, I want you to be rooted when I want your roots to go down in which you're going to find nourishment, but I also want you to be grounded, which means I want you to have a solid foundation. So roots growing, solid foundation doesn't seem like they fit together, but he's, I think we're getting the point. I want you to grow down deep in your roots into Christ so you are growing, you're being nourished, and that will give you a solid foundation to stand on. That's the third thing he asks us to pray for. Then here's the fourth thing he prays. This is a big one. That we would grasp the dimensions of God's love for us. He wants us to know the dimensions of God's love. How do you measure the dimensions of God's love? I mean, a lot of times you'll get a box. Can you measure that? I got to ship something out. I need to know how big of a box it is so I can put on the label. Or, or can you measure how the distance is from there? And we, we try to measure things. Can you really measure God's love? I don't know if you've ever made a, made a bad trade before. Uh, maybe you didn't realize it at first. Maybe you traded for somebody and you're like, oh, man, I got the bad end of this deal, right? Or maybe you knew going into the trade that I'm going to make a trade. And here's the thing. I know I'm going to get the bad end of the bargain, but that's okay. Why would you do that? Because you want to bless that person, right? It's like, you know, I know, I know this is a bad trade, but I just really want to bless that person. And I was thinking about this. I can't think of a good reason, you know, purposely to make a bad trade unless I really cared about that person. And that's what God did. God doesn't make bad trades. He doesn't make mistakes. But I was thinking about here that he gave up a spotless castle for a smelly stable. He traded in the worship of angels for the company of sinners. He did that on purpose. It wasn't like, oh, Man, that was, a, that was a bad move. I didn't see that coming. He, he did it on purpose. At one time, he could hold the universe in the palm of his hand, and he gave that up to be floating in the womb of a woman. Why? Why would you leave heaven to sleep on the straw? 
Why would you nurse from a young woman or be clothed in a diaper when you're the God of the universe? I mean, could, could I make that trade if it was me? Could you make that kind of a trade? Christ did. He went from commanding angels to lying in a manger. Think about that. From, from, from holding the stars to clutching Mary's finger. He made that kind of trade for us. A hand that held the universe would soon be pierced by a nail of a Roman soldier. Why? Because that's what love does. That's what love does. I don't know the distance from here to heaven, but I know that Jesus went the distance for you and I. That's what I do know. We established uh, last week from the book of John that Jesus is eternal. He was, he was with God the Father at creation. But in Matthew 2 and Luke chapter 2, we see that God left the throne room of heaven and became flesh and blood. God came to earth as Jesus Christ. It was that his choice not to be born in a palace, nor to be surrounded with dignitaries and officials, but instead to be surrounded with shepherds, common people. If you were to look at the cross behind me and you take a look at that cross and say, show me the dimensions of, of God's love. I say, well, look at that cross and let's, let's go with the horizontal, horizontal beam. The, 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 let's go with the width. The width of that beam is the width of God's love and it extends beyond all mankind. His love reaches to the, the rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated. Whatever ethnic background you are, that love reaches. That's how wide it is. His love is long enough as well to, to last all eternity. It is, it is deep enough that it reaches down to the worst of sinners and it is high enough that it gives him all the glory. That, that's how his love is measured on that cross. And when I think of that cross, and I also think of this incredible verse, John 3, 16. And, and we challenge the youth group to memorize Scripture. Why? Because it's good to know God's Word, to put God's Word in your heart so that we won't sin against God, but it's good to know God's Word so that it encourages and empowers us. But John 3, 16, I used to think, well, everybody knows John 3, 16. If you're an adult in here and you're my age or older, you're like, we learn that in church all the time. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But what I've learned today is that the younger generations, they're John who? I don't know John. John oh, what's 316? Is that like a lock, locker combination or is that his address or what? It's like, what's John 316, a code for something? It's like, it, it's one of the greatest verses ever. For God, what? He, he loved, and we talked about this with the youth Wednesday night. We said, he loved us so much that he became flesh and blood. He left heaven to suffer for all mankind. All mankind. For God so loved the world. And the world includes everybody. The most lovable person and the most hated evil person. God loves. Which is amazing to me, right? We read in, in the book of Philippians, chapter 2. It says this, Though he, being Jesus, was God, did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave born, of a, born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death 
on a cross. So again, my, my, my question I keep coming back to is, why? Why would God come to earth in the fashion that he came, gave up all that he had for this? Love. That's the only answer I have is love. And can we measure the dimensions of that love? No. It's too big. You know, as, as a father, there are times when I have to say no to my sons. And, and sometimes it pains me because it's like, man, I'd really like to say yes to that. But no. No, and there's other times I enjoy saying no. Like, nope, <laughs> that's not happening. But a lot of times when I think of certain things, it's like, man, I, I really, I really want to say yes, but no. Isn't it so good to know that our Heavenly Father, when we were asking for love, He didn't say no? Instead, He said yes. Yes. Now, there are times God's going to say no to us. Trust me, we've all experienced those moments when God says, no, that's not, that's not good for you. And we argue, and we're like, come on, God. But God's that Heavenly Father who knows what's best for us, and He says no to that. But He does say yes to His love, yes to His grace, to His mercy to his kindness. He says, yes. And he gives us the greatest gift ever in his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, yes, here, here's my love. I will say yes this all day long. And so he says, I'm going to give you my one and only son. So we go back to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only. Now that one and only phrase is a phrase that isn't used that often in Scripture, but you'll find about five, six times for sure in the New Testament, and it has an incredible meaning of a parent-child relationship. In other words, as parents, we know this. Our DNA is given to our children. That's the way it's, it's, it works. Parent-child relationship. DNA is passed on from one to the other. When you look at this phrase, one and only, that's what it means. The DNA of God is passed on to Jesus Christ. It's the one and only, meaning when you look at Jesus, you're going to see God. Everything that God has, his attributes, who he is, is passed right on into Jesus. It's like, well, yeah, he's God. Yes, but remember, he came flesh. Jesus is here on earth as flesh, but here's the thing. He's got all the DNA of God in him. And so with that, you sit there and you think like, well, so when I look at Jesus, I see God. Well, that's what Jesus said in John 14, 9. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So let's, what does that matter? Let's put it like this. Let's say you're a fifth grader in here, okay, or a sixth grader. And you're in class and your teacher says, we're going to read this book on um, the mission to, uh, to the moon, the first mission to the moon, okay? And so we read this, and we get all studied up, and then now the teacher said, what questions do you have about what you read? All these hands flap. What was it like uh, on the moon when, when they stepped out on, onto, the, the pl- onto the moon? What was it like when they stepped outside? And, and, and like, if they spit inside their helmet, did the spit float in their helmet, or did it go on? The, you know, they start asking all these weird and crazy questions, right? And the teacher's like, um... Good question. I, I think, well, perhaps, right, the teacher's doing the best that they can to answer all these questions, but it's difficult. The next day, the teacher brings in Neil Armstrong, the astronaut. Neil Armstrong stands before the class and says, I was on that first mission to the moon. What questions do you have? And they ask all the same questions. He goes, this is what happened. This is how it happened. This took place. That took place. Because he was there he was able to answer the questions. In the same way, because Jesus was in the throne room as God, and now he's here, any question we have about who God is and what heaven is like, Jesus can answer. He's qualified. Because he is the one and only son. 
God in the flesh. So with that in mind, again, why did he leave? Why, why did he leave heaven to come here? Love. Love. One of the biggest things I'm trying to get across here in the first 10, 15 minutes of this message is I want you to know how much God loves you. And that's what pray, uh, Paul prayed for is I want you to know the dimensions of God's love, how wide, deep, long, high. You know, I, want, I want you to know all the dimensions. And we're like, I don't think we can grasp that. And once we begin to grasp the love of God, what do we do with that? I mean, when you get a nice gift and you're like, man, they really love me. How do I respond to that? We all think in our minds, I need to respond. You're like Some of us, like, we can't wait to get a gift at Christmas. But then we're like, well, but that means i got to get them a gift, right? i got to reciprocate my love towards them, right? How, God gives us this love. How do we reciprocate that back to him? In your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, uh, I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'm going to read through it from Scripture. It talks about Jesus was born in Judea during the, the reign of King David. This is the part of the story that we get with the, with the wise men. Okay, Verse 2. They came in Jerusalem. They were asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw stars arose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests, teachers of religious laws, and said, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, Judea, they said. For that's what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when a star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me, and I will go worship him too. Liar, liar, pants on fire, right? We, we know what he wanted to do. Verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw this, they were filled with joy. Pause for a moment. They're not even there yet. It's not even Christmas Day for us, but yet we anticipate weeks ahead, days ahead. It's like, I can't wait for Christmas. Can't wait for Christmas. There seems to be a little bit more joy in the air. There seems to be more fun in the air and festivity in the air. And we get excited and anticipate. And Christmas comes like, yes! And then it's done, right? The wise, they're not even there yet to where Jesus is. And it says, they're filled with joy. They're anticipating something incredible is going to happen. It's like, this is true. This is actually going to happen. Read on what happens. They entered the house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened the treasury chest and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it came time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, not going back to King Herod, for God had warned him in a dream not to return to Herod. So here we discover the story of the wise men or the magi. What is a Magi or what are Magi? They are powerful, great people, uh, somebody of great significance and influence. Coming from the uh, distant east, probably Persias is what a lot of people believe. They were very distinguished, and so they grew a lot of attention. So obviously when they arrived in town, everybody's like, ooh, these guys, something special is going on, right? Were there three? We don't know. Now, if you Google every child's Christmas video, cartoon, there are, there, there's always three wise men. Does the Bible ever say three? 
No, never. We don't know how many. There were. We know there were three gifts. That we do know. When did they arrive? They arrived when Jesus was older. He didn't, they didn't show up right the night when Jesus was born. He was possibly somewhere between the ages of one and two. They were at a house. We know that King Herod, when he found out they're not coming back, I'm going to send out a decree. He didn't go out looking for newborns to kill. He looked for two-year-olds and younger to wipe out. He wiped out a whole generation of kids, of boys. What do we know about the star? Not much there either. I'm sure if we dig deeper and we did a little bit more investigation and we went to some uh, theologians who, that's all they did was study the Middle East and astrology. They might be able to give us a little bit more information on the stars. But Matthew doesn't record those. Maybe Matthew wasn't interested in how many wise men, how long it took them, more information about the star. But what we do know is what Matthew wrote down. And here's what I want you to hear. In response to the love of God, because again, I'm sitting here going, how do we respond to this love of God that he's given us that we can't even measure? Here's how we respond. We take a note from the wise men. First thing is this, seek Jesus. How do we express our love back to God? First thing we gotta do is we gotta seek him. Make it your journey, not your spouse's journey, not your kid's journey, not your parent's journey, not your grandparent's journey, not your neighbor's journey, not, oh, the pastor's journey. Uh, I love hearing testimonies. I love hearing stories. I love hearing about what's going on in people's lives spiritually. But you know what? That's your journey. It's not my journey. I love to hear when people are seeking Jesus. You want to see a grown man cry? Show me a teenager who is repenting and falling before God and worshiping with their hands up. And I see a teenager do that and you'll see a grown man cry. Because they're seeking Jesus, just like the wise men. Our first thing we can learn from the wise men in response to God's love, seek Jesus. Here's the second thing. When they found Jesus, they were wise enough to worship him. They got on a bent knee. When you get down on your knees to bend before somebody, I'm recognizing that you are above me. I'm putting myself, I'm lowering, I'm humbly lowering myself below you. I'm recognizing you are greater than me. That's what the wise men did to this little toddler. Jesus, because they recognized he was a king. The third thing that they did, they were wise enough to give him a gift. They, they responded. It says they opened up their treasures and they gave. They were seeking him. They were worshiping him. And then they gave to him. We know what they gave, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know that these were the gifts of the wise men. For Jesus was to be a true king, and that's what you give a gold. He was the, uh, the, going to be the perfect high priest, and that's what you give the frankincense to. And in the end, he would be the supreme savior of this world. And that's why they gave him the myrrh, the myrrh that was for one who was to die. And because God loves us, he says this, I'm giving you my son. I'm giving you eternal life. And he gives us the grace and the mercy that we do not have or deserve. But now the question is, after he's given us all this, what do we give back? What do we give back? 1 John chapter 4 says this. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his, here it is, one and only son into the world so we might have eternal life through him. God says, hey, I want to show you my love. And he shows us Jesus Christ. This is real love, verse 10 says. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for us to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loves us so much, we surely ought to be good people. 
do good things. Well, let's narrow it down. Love each other. No one's ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. We're to love one another. Oh, that's easy. Not, is it? It's hard to love people. Sometimes in our own homes, sometimes our neighbors, sometimes our coworkers, sometimes just the strangers is like, I'm supposed to love one another. I'm supposed to love others. Love God, love others. We're like, love God. That's good enough. The love others part is challenging because our love is so conditional. We are naturally, as human beings, sort of catered and cultured into the sense of, I can love you if you are a good person. If you do something good for me, that's on your condition, I then can love you. That's conditional love. God's like, I've got unconditional love for you. You don't have to do anything for me to love you. I love you. And that's the kind of love we're supposed to have for one another. And we're like, oh, okay, well, I can do that for you, but I don't know if I can do that for other people. God says, yeah, you can. And I'm like, no, I can't. And he's like, yes, you can. And I was like, oh, I'm going to need help with this one, God. Because sometimes loving people is so hard because right now, you know, hey, God, it's a busy time of the year, getting caught up with all these holiday traditions and preparations. Okay, who's getting the meal around? And, and we got cousins and I didn't, cousins, cousins that I didn't even know about that we probably got to do something for. And we got to send Christmas cards out and I ran out of stamps. And, and do I do the same? Wait, did I do that Christmas card last year with them? Oh, wait. Should I even send them one? I don't know if they sent me anything. And then, okay, whose house are we meeting at? And I've got, I don't know if I have time to love others. I've got so much going on right now. Make time, right? Do you think those wise men had other things to do in their life? They probably did. Their journey, as far as we know, was over a year long. Can you imagine just seeking Jesus for a year? And then when you finally find him, now you know why there was so much joy. <laughs> They'd been on those camels for a long time, right? It's like, yes, we found him. It's, it's hard to love others. Let's, let's, let's be honest about that. There, it's easy to love people who are lovable, right? But to love everybody? Come on. To do this, to do this without God is impossible. But with God, it's possible because God is love. And maybe that's why the Apostle Paul said, I want Christ to dwell, to be the homeowner in your heart. Because if he's there, it's going to be easier to love others. And that's what I'm asking you to do as his DNA flows through us. How can I love others if the love of God is not flowing into me? One of the first things we got to do as a church is make sure we're connected to God. John 15 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You want an example? Look at the Christmas trees in your house. If you got a real tree, you probably went out, you cut it down from somewhere, or you bought it already cut, you put it in a stand. It's beautiful, right? But in a couple weeks or a month, it is not going to be so beautiful. As all the leaves or the pines uh, needles start falling and hitting the ground and starts turning brown, all of a sudden it's like, it doesn't look so pretty anymore. You know why? Because it's dead. It's been cut off. It's been disconnected from its roots. Apart from Christ, we're nothing. That tree, apart from its roots, will eventually be nothing. That's a beautiful picture right there of what it means to be disconnected. And as a person uh, who is trying his hardest to love others, Without God, impossible. With God, it's possible. We must be connected, connected to God. Um, picture like a uh, water hose outside your house. 
You take that hose and you want to uh, maybe go to your garden, to the flowers somewhere, and sort of spray things down, water them down. But what's the first thing we got to do? We got to connect it to the water source, right? Same way. I can't love others until I'm connected to the source, which is God. But even then, as a Christian, I'm connected to God. If I got a kink in the hose or it's in a knot, y'all had those? You're like, you're pulling your hose across the yard. You're like, you see it going. And then you stop and you're like, drip, drip, drip. It's like, I turned it on. Why is it not? Oh, there's a kink. You set it down and you come over here and you undo the kink so that the water can flow again. Here's the problem. We can be connected to God as Christians. We can have a relationship with him. But somewhere along the line, something gets knotted up. Something gets, there's a kink somewhere and that flow stops. What is it? What sin in our life, what struggle in our life, what temptation in our life has obstructed that flow? We got to figure that one out and then take it to God and say, God, I need you to help me with this one too. Can you forgive me for this? And he helps us undo it so that the flow can go again, right? There's something else about the wise men besides seeking Jesus and worshiping him and giving him. Here's here's a a point that sometimes we don't emphasize, but I want to emphasize today. And that is they did it together. They did it together. They were seeking Jesus together. They were worshiping together. That's why I love the church. As much as maybe there's a Sunday where I'm not here, I might be at another church um, sharing about uh, FCA or filling the pulpit for somebody, or if I'm actually on vacation and I'm away from the church, it's like, you know, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good change of flow for me. But you know what? I miss the church. When I'm visiting other churches, as awesome as they may be, I miss our church. Why is that? Because it's in the church body that we grow together, that we worship together, that we seek Him together. And it's within the church body when I'm having problems and and my hose has got a kink in it and sometimes I'm going to ignore it. One of you might say, Rex, there's a kink in your hose. Thanks to you and our relationship we have, you're able to help me do what I need to do spiritually. Does that make sense? In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, I've heard people use this scripture before and say, we don't need to get to church. We can worship on our own. Look what Hebrews 10 says. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Here's the thing. You're here today. Guess what? You're not alone. That was an easy one to figure out, right? I'm sure you would agree with me that one of the greatest things you'll ever learn in faith is that spiritual growth can be accelerated when you are with others. By yourself, you can grow spiritually, but with others, that can be accelerated. That's called the church. We were never meant to grow on our our own. It's not supposed to be a thing of isolation. Spiritual growth is a team effort. It's a team effort. You know, some people say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Okay, I understand what they're saying, but Christianity doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. That's like saying, oh, I like playing soccer, but I don't like my teammates. I'll do it myself. Oh, okay. One on 11. You go for it. You know what that's called? It's called mercy. It's called a massacre. It's called an automatic loss. You will get beat down. One on 11. Ain't going to happen. Same way with our faith. You You think you can grow spiritually on your own and you don't need the church? You will get beat down. You'll have moments of growth. You'll have opportunity where you will draw near to God. I have those moments like, I need to pray on myself. I need to read by myself. I'm obviously going to fast by myself. I don't always say, hey, church, I want you all to fast on that. There's things that I would do spiritually on my own. But you know what? 
I can't do everything on my own. There's no way. I need the church body. Now, here's the thing. I was thinking about this. A couple of weeks ago, I was watching the Notre Dame uh, USC, uh, I'm sorry, Notre Dame Clemson football game. And as I'm watching this game, I'm sitting at home by myself watching it. And I think Jenny might have been in the other room watching a Hallmark movie or something. I don't know. Might have been. Anyway, um, I was like sort of doing the thing. I'm doing my thing. Like, okay, I'm going to watch the game. Yeah, all right. Meanwhile, my, my sons, uh, they somehow got tickets, and they're all at the game. And, and some of their friends are with them, and, and they're at the game. The stadium is full. They're playing one of the highest-ranked teams in the nation. And then, you know, it's like, oh, this will, who knows what's going to happen. Well, comes comes to it, they start winning, and they start winning. And the, and the crowd is just electric, and it's getting louder and louder. And at home, it's Exactly, it was that loud. And so it was like crickets, right? But it's, oh, there in the atmosphere is like exciting. It's like, wow, the fans are going nuts. The game is over, and I'm like, how's that movie? Sweet, okay. I'm high-fiving myself. There's nobody to celebrate with. Meanwhile, at the stadium, the football field is filled with fans. I mean, they rushed the field. I'm texting the boys like, hey, are you guys going to rush the field? You know, like, I'm, I'm rushing the living room. It's really fun, okay. Um, it's a lot of fun. And it's like, do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? It's like, and, and I understand sometimes you can't get here. It's like you're sick. And there's some people watching online today. They're sick. They, they can't make it. But sometimes we use the excuse like we just don't want to go. It's, it's more comfy to be in our pajamas or I don't want to come. And I just want to say this. It's not the same. This is worship right here. And it's a different atmosphere than watching online. And again, I know some people, you, you, sometimes you just can't make it. I get it. That's fine. But if you have a choice and you can be here, this beats watching online. That beat right there, being on the field, that beat me being in my living room at home going, yeah, yeah. nothing, right? It's, I told somebody back in COVID, I said, I couldn't wait for us as a church to start gathering again. You know, there was at one point in time, we actually had like a thousand people watching online, believe it or not. Is that crazy? Okay. And it's like, that's awesome. Yeah, but you know, it's not the same. It's not the same. It's like, uh, I like I've turned on the fireplace on my TV. Oh, this is awesome. No, it's not. No, I, I can't feel the flame. I can't smell smoke. I can't, you know, throw things in it to make it bigger. You know, it's like, it's, it's not. It's not the same. So when I look at the scripture, it's telling me right here, it's like, this is not the same. If you want to grow spiritually, we need to encourage one another to grow. That's what the wise men did. Hey, let's go worship together. Yeah, let's do it. Hebrews 10, it says, we're told to consider how to motivate one another to good deeds. The word used for motivate actually means to, to incite or create heat. That's what that word actually means. So it's just like, it's like we got a fire going and, and the writer in Hebrews is like, throw some more logs on. Let's, let's create heat. Let's get a bigger fire. Instead, sometimes we're kicking the logs off and the log rolls off and eventually it fizzles out, right? Instead, as Christians, we're supposed to be building a bonfire making and creating a bigger fire here. That's what it means to Worship together. Now, why am I sharing all this? Again, I want to grow spiritually. I, I want to reciprocate this love. God loves me so much. His dimensions of love is unmeasurable. And he said, this is Christmas. I've extended, I've given my love to you. What are you going to do with my love? It's like, I don't know. What should I do with your love, God? Give it to others. Okay, but that's hard. Exactly. You're going to need my help. Okay, so how can I do this? Well, first of all, stay connected to me. I'll stay connected to you. Okay, I want to grow with you. Okay, and do it with others. So, okay, I'll do it with others. So I'm going to gather with other people to help me with my spiritual growth. Because I really want to love others, but by myself, it's hard. 
Church, I want to encourage you with that this morning. Worship team, would you come forward, please? I want to encourage you to just like, God loves you. We want to not only love him, we want to love others. How we worship is huge. How we share our love with others is important as well. And this is a season in which we love showing our love to other people, but it's going to be hard without God, without his help. Seek him like the wise men. Worship him like the wise men. Give to him like the wise men. And let's do it together like the wise men. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you this morning, Lord, that we can come here. And we can gather here and, 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 and it's, it's, it's so, um, it is fun at times to see people and to just sort of sense like it's good to be with others. And God, I know we're not a perfect church. I'm sure somebody walked in here today for the first time and maybe they didn't get as greeted. Maybe they didn't feel as welcome. And God, that's on us. We need to get better at that. But God, when we come to this church, it isn't just about how we feel. Because sometimes we just want to be served. We want to feel good about ourselves, but we come to church to worship you and to serve. So God, I pray if there's somebody in here this morning and maybe they're struggling with why they're here, I pray first of all, God, that they're here to meet you, to experience your love, to worship you, to grow closer to you. And God, I pray too for many of us who are like, yeah, that's why I come every week. I pray that we also then remember this church isn't for us. It's not about us. We come to, we come to grow together, but we come to worship you. And we want to serve you. And we get to serve you and love you by serving others and loving others. The DNA, God, that you gave to your son, Jesus Christ, that you now give to us because he dwells in our heart. God, let that be evident in how we love one another, how we serve one another. Thank you, God, for this time we've had this morning. God, let us be different as we leave this place today. And I 